thankful for that tonight because there's nothing that is out of your reach, nothing that you can't do. And so we rest in that understanding tonight of the greatness of who you are and what you want to do with your people and through your people. I pray that you'd move in this service, Lord, that you'd just have complete control over my mouth and Lord, of what I'm saying over the hearers' ears, Lord, that you would have complete control in this service. Move me aside. Speak directly to your people tonight, and we believe that you will. Heal every sick person. Touch everyone that's watching, Lord, that couldn't be here tonight, and I pray you'd bless them. Bless each one, we pray. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Do you love the Lord this evening? I know I ask you that a lot, but I trust the answer will always be from the heart. Yes, yes, we love the Lord. Amen. Genesis 49, 27, and Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, as we continue speaking on breaking the family curse, we're finally getting down to the breaking part talked a lot about the curse, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but there is a way to break it, but it's not by human effort, but by the grace of God. Yeah. Genesis 49, 27, while you're turning there, I uh, had been listening to Paradox, the message Brother Brandon preached in December 1961, and if you get a chance to go listen to that this week, if you're just looking for a tape or or a sermon to listen to and get a chance to listen to that, I think it'd do you some good. He preached it several times, but particularly the one that he preached there in Jeffersonville in December 1961. I, While listening to that, I was inspired to something else completely different from this uh, that we may speak on on Sunday morning, so it would go with that as well. And then on Sunday afternoon, I, I want to take a little time and explain to you maybe more in a sermon than, than just telling you, but why we're are going uh, on this mission trip that we plan on going out on, on on the end of the month and why we're doing it. And, and uh, you know, you do things, and sometimes it's hard. You can't explain everything, but uh, I, I know that uh, uh, whenever we leave, we don't want to be gone for long. We like to be here with you, but uh, there are other sheep which are not of this fold, and so we want to reach out as well when we have that opportunity and when the Lord leads us to do that. And and uh, I believe that'll be a blessing to you as well. So we'll kind of try to explain ourselves on, uh, uh, well, I will anyway. I won't let Joel have that opportunity, but I'll do that anyway on Sunday. I'll be preaching to you a lot this month, and you just pray for me. And then next month, I won't be preaching to you much at all because we'll be gone to Egypt, and then when we come back, we'll have those meetings. So remember the meetings, July 14th through 17th, and, and be praying for those. A lot of people coming in. I've rented, I know several folks have rented Airbnbs and stuff in the neighborhood and, and uh, are coming in to be with us. And so uh, we're, we're happy. Uh, the Lord willing, we'll have those meetings and just be as best hosts we can be. And also, but we want to receive a blessing too. And so I'm looking forward to that right after we get back. 
All right, uh, we're reading from Genesis 49:27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. And then Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I pray the Lord would add his blessing to the word. You may be seated this evening. It came off. I was trying to get the cap off the bottle. I'm not very smart sometimes. Lighten up this evening a little bit. Can y'all smile at me? My goodness. It's a tough crowd. Are y'all tired tonight? Well, we'll try to get you out of here before too long. I know these boys have been on this roof are tired today. I, Brother Isaac, I feel so sorry for you. I, I'm sorry. I called Joel yesterday, and he said, oh, I'm in the truck watching the guys work. I said, yeah, that's about how it is. <laughs> the scripture said Benjamin will raven, and that word means to tear or to rend as a wolf. A few years ago in 2017, there was some attacks in Israel by wolves of the same type that would have been in that day uh, that they would have been talking about, uh, wolves in Israel. And there are still wolves in Israel today. And they were attacking human beings. They were actually attacking uh, infants and babies. They, were, they, would, they would scout out an area. A wolf pack would scout out some people who were camping or some Bedouins in the desert or something like that. And they would begin to watch them. And they would try to make off with the infants or the babies that were there. And it became increasingly common And they began to realize that the animals were not playing and they were not feeling threatened, but they were actually hunting for small humans. They realized they recognized them as prey. And that's not normally, that's not normal for uh, animals. Usually, even a a snake will actually uh, only uh, defend itself when threatened, they won't hunt humans normally. But a wolf, if they're in the right frame of mind, will do that. And, and actually they found that a wolf will, the nature of a wolf is to kill anything that is weak. It's to attack anything weaker than it is. And so they found in Yellowstone National Park that sometimes there will be a herd of elk and they'll get in the deep snow and they'll be walking through the deep snow and trying to, uh, trying to make it to be the middle of the winter and they're just about dead tired, all of them, and, and the wolves will find them and they, they'll kill what they need to eat and then they'll keep killing. And they'll slaughter an entire herd of elk rather than just kill what they need like most animals would. And the reason for that is because uh, the nature of a wolf is if it perceives weakness, it'll go after it. Now we know that's not the nature of a Christian because Christ, the spirit of Christ is to help those that are weak. I may know that tonight. But that's the nature of, of a wolf and that was the nature 
of the Benjamite, the nature that run in this family's train, if we could say it that way, was to attack, was to, was to rend, was to tear. And when they smell blood like a shark will, a, a wolf is like that, they get excited by blood and they go after another weak animal. And as long as they perceive them to not be a threat, they'll kill them. And so that's the nature uh, that drove King Saul. If we go back to the, uh, to the Old Testament that drove King Saul to persecute David, you'll find after we left Saul that he had uh, he tried to uh, throw a javelin at David. And, and Jonathan came back and interceded to Saul for David. And he said, hey, he's never done anything to you. You've got no reason uh, to be like this around him. And so Saul said, you know, that's true. And he repented of what he did. And I believe Saul was sincere in that. But he just had this nature, and y'all bear with me tonight. I, I'm having a little bit of a problem with congestion, so I'm, I'm trying tonight just as hard as I can. That's why I didn't wear a tie, too. I know you're shocked, but, but I can't. I have to be able to breathe, so it's one or the other. So. But uh, it's the nature that uh, drove King Saul to do this. And so Jonathan intercedes to Saul, and Saul being, I think, sincere, he says, well, uh, let's, let's get David back in. And he repented of what he did. And so in 1 Samuel 19, 6, Saul hearkened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. In verse 8, and there was war again. Now watch, everything was okay for a while. Until there was another war, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. So, so Saul, King Saul, looks at this, and he says, now here they are. Here he goes again. He's going out and having these big meetings and doing these things, and I just can't stand that. And so he began to get jealous again. And, and he said, and the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Now, if we could fast forward, now think about this. We fast forward a thousand years. Now let that sink in for a minute. It's more than a minute. A thousand years later, See, time doesn't change the strain in a family. And that's why you have a, a child sometimes and he looks different. Maybe like little Henry, he looks a little bit different from the parents. And you look at that and think, where did that come from? And, and then as a child, you begin to look at him and you begin to realize, well, I knew great uncle so-and-so. Or maybe I'll talk to my mother sometimes. She'll say, you know, you look like uh, your great uncle or great great uncle that I never met. And, but I look more like them than I do like my father because some of those genes skip generations and come on down. And that's why every generation has to have their own revival. Right? You don't, you don't pass on Christian genes to your children. Right? They have to be the gene of God themselves. And I believe that they are. But that's not passed on naturally. They have to receive the Holy Ghost just like we do. They've got to sit in an atmosphere just like we did. Yes. They've got to be, be born in, by the Spirit of God. They've got to have a revival. And that's why I'm never against a revival among the young people because every generation's got to have it. Yes. They've got to have it. We had to have it. They have to have it. Yes. 
And so, but when you have a strain in a family, you can't say, well, eventually we'll get over it. Someday it'll just, it'll just pass on out. Well, maybe it will and maybe it won't. Because some of these genes that are so strong in a family will just continue uh, on down until finally they'll pop up years and years later and you'll see things in your children that maybe you didn't even struggle with but other people in your family did. So eventually we'll get over it doesn't work. There's got to be a paradox in your life. A paradox in your life. Nothing else will break the curse but a paradox. Now, Brother Branham, in, in the message paradox, he begins and he begins to explain. I only have one quote tonight, but it's quite lengthy. But he said, according to Webster, a paradox is something that seems incredible, but it's true. It's something that seems incredible, but it's true. Therefore, a paradox then would be the same as a miracle. Right? Now, now let's back up for a minute. What happened? Saul, King Saul, persecuted David. And that same spirit, a thousand years later, caused Saul, who was named after King Saul, you watch what you name your children. Right? Because it does matter. And I don't think a child necessarily has to be named a biblical name, but you name them something good. Right? You don't want to name them something that, that's bad. And because Brother Branham said it mattered. You say, well, I can prove to you it didn't matter. Well, Brother Branham said it does. So I'll, I'll take his word on that. And, and he explained that. There was much meaning in that in the name Elvis and Ricky and names like that. And, and so, and today we've got all kinds of names, but... Uh, but now uh, a paradox then ha has got to happen. Now, he, they named him after King Saul. And, and here he was brought up and all of these things. And we'll go through that in just a little bit. And yet he does the same thing that King Saul did without even trying to. He doesn't have to try to do that. He's got that same spirit, those same genes, that same, he's a Benjamite. It's still carrying on all those years later. Don't think you're just going to let it say, well, I got this little thing in my life, but someday, someday it'll be gone. I'll get old. I'll, uh, something, there'll be something that'll take it away. No, deal with it. Yeah. Sure. Right? Take care of it now because it's not just going to get better. Hey, man, if there's sin in your life, deal with it. If there's bitterness in your heart, deal with it. That's why the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Deal with it right now. Deal with it. If you have an unbelieving spirit, if there's something in you questioning the message of the hour, don't wait till you become a preacher. Don't wait until you, until you become a deacon. Deal with it now. Make sure you have that crisis moment. Make sure you meet God on the backside of the desert now. You need to deal with it. Because just putting it off, it only gets worse. Now, a paradox again is then, he said, would be the same as a miracle. A paradox is when something that seems like it just couldn't be. The knowledge of the human mind, it's altogether incredible, but yet it's proven true. Now, a miracle would be the same thing, for a miracle cannot be explained. He said a miracle is something that happens. You cannot explain it. That makes it a paradox. It's incredible, but yet it's the truth. He said, now people today, a lot of modernists, believe the days of miracles are past. They don't believe there is such a thing as a miracle. 
But yet I believe that the world is full of miracles. Wonder what our life would be like if we looked at the world like that. The world is full of miracles. He said, I believe the paradox is constantly. He said, for instance, I believe that every born-again member of the body of Christ. How many born-again members of the body of Christ do we have? He said, every. Amen. That includes you. That includes me. Every member of the born-again body of Christ is a paradox in themselves. Amen. He said, I believe each one of you, Methodist and Presbyterian and Lutheran, that never had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit was in some formal church that did not believe in the genuine new birth. Oh, I don't want to ever be like that. I want to be a church on fire, not a formal church. He said, and has now received the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the perfect example of a paradox. Because something happened to you that changed your whole being, and anyone could look at that and know What a paradox is, a miracle. Amen. So he goes further. He said, unless that happens, you cannot be a Christian. There must be a paradox for you to become a Christian. Because no one can change his spirit in a man and give him a new birth outside of God. And I've been dealing with some things, even as a pastor, and some things in my own mind and my own heart. And I've been dealing with some things. And as I begin to think about them, Brother Danny, I begin to realize that There's some things that I can't change outside of being able to deal within the word. If the the person is not able to deal within the boundaries of the word, then you can't really change the way that they're thinking. And and on some level, counseling, you can counsel someone, but if if they're not born again, that counseling can only go so far. It can only help so much. At some point, you reach a point where you just can't do anymore because you can't change the spirit in a man. You can't make them do right. right. Or a woman or a boy or a girl. You can't make, you can't change them. You can sit there and tell them. And, and as a pastor, you can tell them somebody even that you have confidence in. But if they're convinced that it's not right or that it is right, they may have confidence in you. And they'll sit there and you'll tell them this is what you need to do. And they just won't do it because you can't change the spirit. Yeah. But if a person gets a new birth, they'll follow the word. Yeah. Right, And then you can guide them. They'll be guided. They'll be able to be led by the ministry. And so sometimes, and Brother John Baduka was here with this, and Brother John's a good pastor. He, he deals with his church in that way. And, and he was telling me, he said, you know, he said, there's some times that you just have to pray. He said, there's some things that you can't talk somebody out of. When somebody gets a spirit on them, he said, sometimes you just need to pray and pray earnestly for that person. And so that, that's many times true because, and sometimes if we get to deal, and sometimes you get dealing with your children, you think, well, I, I'm just, there's nothing I can say, and that's probably true. There's nothing I can say, there's nothing I can do, but you can pray. Yeah. And prayer doesn't maybe change things today, it might, but it might change things 20 years from now yeah. if the Lord tarries. Yes, Amen. So prayer does change things, just not in our timetable because God knows when the right season is for that seed to come to light. So no one can change his spirit in a man and give him new birth outside of God. God alone is the only one can do it. It's a miracle. Now you think about it. I've been in, I've been in churches. I've been in places here and other places where you preach your heart out. and There's people there you know need to receive it and they don't get it. And then there's other times you'll preach and it seems like it's just not much there. But someone will come and give their heart to the Lord 
and maybe many will come and several will come and one will be give their heart to the Lord and, and you look at it and you realize something really happened yeah. in that person's heart and life. And what, what is it? What is that? It's, it's God changed their life. God brought them to an altar. Only God can give them new life. We can preach it, but only God can give them new life. But it's God's method to preach the gospel. That's the only way we can spread it. It's by preaching the gospel. That's God's method is to preach the gospel. Maybe we'll deal with that on Sunday night. That's God's method of working. That's what he does. He didn't say that he would save the world by the Internet. Do you know that? He never said he would save the world by... He never said he would go, go into all the world and, and, and type out sermons, even give out books or tracts. He said preach the word. Yeah. Preach the gospel to every creature. Right. In power and demonstration. So now... But now some things you just can't change on your own. But if the power of God could ever come down, when the time is right, it'll change. And, and so you always... So some people would react to that in a way, because I know how some people think, you know, and, and sometimes I'd like to think this way too, but you can't afford to. And that's kind of like, well, if I, can't, if I can't affect what time people change, then I'll just wait, and I won't really do anything. I'll just keep, keep doing this and just treading water until the time comes. But that's not what we do. We don't just tread water, but we give every effort every time because we don't know. Right? As much effort on a Wednesday night as on a Sunday morning. As much effort as when there's 20 people as when there's 100 people. As much effort as when there, uh, whatever it is, whatever, whether we're preaching here, overseas, or somewhere else. I don't put any less into a sermon, any less study time to preach to you on a Wednesday night than I would to go preach at Brother Tim's or preach at some other uh, church that has a larger congregation. I, I don't put any more effort into that. In fact, I put less in because you've heard it before. But it's just the truth. It, 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 wherever I, I want that opportunity. See, we can be birthed by the word. And those of you who have a new birth, you can be refilled with the Holy Ghost. You can be helped by the Spirit of God. You can be helped by the preaching of the word. But we've got to keep our, our shoulders to the wheel. Right. So no, man can, no one can change his spirit and a man give him a new birth outside of God. God alone is the only one who can do it. And it's a miracle how that God can take a man's thinking and his ways and his life and everything. Aren't you glad God changed everything? And change it from what it was to what it can be. What he can make it. He said, for instance, a few days ago, and I've used this illustration of this story before, but I just wanted to read it the way that he said it here. He said, a few days ago, I was called in on a scene, and now this is the same quote. We're just continuing on. He said, on a scene or on a little something going on, there was a fine young man, very fine boy, who was going with a little girl, a very fine little girl out of a fine family. It was actually Brother Branham's family. The boy was his nephew, I believe. He said, and this boy all of a sudden came up with some kind of an idea, and he just walked away. He actually stood the girl up on a date. He was, I believe he was going to take her to church, and he didn't take her. He took someone else. He said he did something wrong to the little girl, and much as promised her to do a certain thing and then didn't do it. And instead of coming to the girl and apologizing like a gentleman should do, it just wasn't in him to do it. Watch that. If a person can be confronted by the word and not apologize, that's a problem. And I don't care if it's your kids that confront you. Because sometimes they do. Dad, you know better than to act like that. 
It don't matter if it's the church confronting the pastor or the kids confronting or the pastor preaching the word and you hearing it. If you're confronted with the word and you realize, Lord, help me. I know I don't do that, but I know it's true. Or I know I do that, but I know I shouldn't do that. And, and then you, you apologize, you repent of that. But it's a sign there's something wrong when we're confronted with it. We know it's right, but we won't do it. He said, now, it's, he said it's not easy to do sometimes. And now, he said it wasn't in him to do it. And the father and mother called me to the scene said we would desire to know what is wrong with our boy. He said, now, it's not easy to do sometimes, but you must be truthful and honest. He said, therefore, the boy was a Christian as far as a believer. He had repented and had been baptized, had his position among the believers, but yet had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, no matter how much he thought he had. He said, you thinking you have and having it is two different things. You might be able to try to say you have. You might be able to show some evidence of some emotion. But unless your life is vindicating what you're professing to have, you still haven't got it. Listen, I, I, I try to avoid hard subjects on Wednesday nights on purpose. Listen, if our lives don't cope with the word, that's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. That we can say amen to every word. And if we're, if we're confronted with it, and we evade it, or we, we walk away and just shake our head and say, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't feel good doing that, and it's not me. There's something wrong. Either we never had the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Ghost has lost its influence in our life because of backsliding. Either one of those circumstances are dangerous. We need to come back to the fountain church. I do. Many times I do. Now look, he said, I believe, and he said, uh, no matter how many emotions, how much you jump, run, sensations, speaking in tongues or shouting, whatever you might lay it upon, which is all right, I believe in all that too. Yeah. Brother Branham did. He said, but unless your life copes with your testimony, you haven't got it. He said, because the fruit of the Spirit vindicates what you are, just like the fruit of any tree tells what it is. Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. He said, now this young fellow's parents, his mother is German. I, I, we probably have Germans in here. I know we have Germans in here tonight, people of German heritage. He said his mother is German. He said no reflection on the German, but there is a strain in that family. He said, and that is they'll just sit, and you can talk to them, and they'll just stare you right in the face. He said this girl's sister, the mother of this boy, her sister, so this uh, boy's mother's sister, his aunt, he's talking about her now. He said, I've come down the street many mornings. This young lady be sitting out in the yard. And I'd say, good morning to you. And she'd just look at me. And I'd stop and I'd say, sure, a fine morning. He said, she would just stand, look right at you, an intelligent woman. And I'd say, come up to see us sometime. She'd just stand and look. He said, well, her brothers are that way. Father and mother is that way. He said, now the father of the boy is strictly an Irishman. That was Brother Branham's side of the family. He said, moody and high-tempered, high-strung. He said, his whole family like that, except one other out of the family converted I like the way he put that. One other out of the family converted. He said, this father and mother both are Christians filled with the Holy Ghost. And they, now, now remember, this is important. He said, they were both Christians. And they brought this young man up in the way of the Lord. So they didn't do wrong. Sometimes we overblame ourselves. Is that a word, overblaming? We give ourselves excess blame. Right? The, the child has to receive the Holy Ghost for themselves. Right. You've got to promise that they would be there. Yeah. Right? You, what happens in between, you don't know. 
Right? There's no promise of that, but you have a promise they would be there because you and your house will be saved. I'm holding to that promise, aren't you? Amen. But now, here this boy, he said this young man, his father and mother, both Christians, they brought the young man upright. Now, the young man is about 17 or 18 years old, something along there, very fine kid. He's been a real model boy at home, nice kid. He's got a brother that's just vice versa. Must have not been a nice kid. He said, but the girls, the mother's family, lives close to, he started to say, I think, the tabernacle. He says, a fine church. He said, but do you think they'd ever come over there? No. He said, and they know it's right, but it's just not in them to ask forgiveness or ask pardoning. He said, they just won't do it. It's just not in them. Oh, my. You realize what a serious thing that is? Church, that's not what I'm preaching on tonight. But you realize if, that, if that's something that you deal with, you have a hard time doing that, you need to overcome that. Because it'll keep you from the Holy Ghost. It'll keep you from church. It'll keep you from loving the people of God. He said, now the genes in the father and the mother of this boy said, no matter how much they're converted, still remains the flesh. Someone say the flesh. Okay, pop quiz. What, what good is there in the flesh? What did Paul say? Nothing. There is nothing good about the flesh. Well, I'm predestinated, not the flesh. We can go back and talk about that if you want to. We can, we can preach about it or we can study it and study it out, but it's not the flesh. It's the inner man. Huh? It's the inner man. There's a, that's a new creation that's born again that can't fall. Right? But the flesh, there's nothing good in the flesh, and so nothing good and nothing good come together and have a child. Right? Because you don't have them in the spirit. Right? They're born after the flesh. We don't have spoken word children, so the children are born. What are they? Nothing good. Oh, my, that's just hurting you with them little babies. <laughs> when they're so sweet, but they'd go to heaven like that. It's when they get older, you know. But when them genes start to manifest themselves. Now, look. Now, he said, he said therefore, he said the boy has got a complex in him, just like from his mother's family. They are not forgiving. They will not apologize. And that's where the boy stands. And I said to the father, no matter how much you've raised him up. Now look, this was, this was a boy who was raised right. Went to a prophet's church. Part of a prophet's family. Did not have the Holy Ghost. Right? And so it looks like a minor thing. That's a minor thing. And maybe if it was our kid, we'd defend him. And that's what the parents did, by the way. Defended their son. But we defend him, but yet a prophet of God could look at that, and I won't be looking at you and telling you, oh, you don't have the Holy Ghost because it's more difficult for me. I can only look at the outside fruits. Brother Branham could actually look at, at the motives or the, the thoughts. He could, he could perceive the thoughts of the boy's heart, and he could see why he did what he did more so than what I could see. Right? But only God knows the heart. But Brother Branham could see being a prophet more than what I could see. And yet, if you have those fruits in your life, there's something wrong, yeah. right, that, that would make you stubborn and not, not apologize and do things like that that are harsh to people and not, not make it right. And so he said, I said to the father, no matter how much you've raised him up, I said, now look at you, out of your family, all of them, drunks and fighting and shooting and cutting. That was Brother Branham's family. He said, now look at your family to the mother. He said, there are a bunch of people just sit there and won't speak, very independent and so forth, irreverent to religion. But I said, it's not you. 
Oh, aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus Christ? It's not you. You're the only one of all your sisters and brothers. You're sweet, kind, and forgiving. What does that? And your tree, he said, part of that family tree, yet you have received the Holy Ghost. He said, that's the thing that made you tender and sweet. It's not your people anymore. It's your Christ that lives in you. Hey, man, I said to the boy, look at your family. Practically all of them are drunks and so forth. I said, how moody and high-tempered and high-strung. But you're not. You're kind, forgiving. What is it, the Holy Spirit? You're no more what you are. It's Christ in you. I said, now that same thing has to happen to your son. And the father raised up and said, my son went to the altar. He was baptized correctly in the name of Jesus Christ. Water baptism in the pool. said, I know my son has come to Christ. I said, that may be all right, all the outward motions. He might be identified as a believer with the believers. But until he is regenerated, born again, I'd advise, listen where he takes this, I'd advise that young man to never marry a woman. He'll make hell on earth for her until that gentle, sweet, forgiving spirit of Christ comes in. He said, then that will be a paradox in itself to take the very nature of a boy that's bred between father and mother, yet in his intellectuals, he is trying his best to overcome it. He can't do it. You realize with our family tree, Joel, if we could just look back at ours, us being married to our wives as long as we've been proves that something's taken place. Proves to us anyway, you don't know all my family. But just being able to get along with your wife is not something that comes automatically in the Pruitt family tree. But why are we so different? They say, well, do you have problems? Absolutely. I used to say, because we fight very little, my wife and I, we fuss very little. But I used to be able to say I'd never had a, a fight with my wife, never, never had a fuss with my wife. And I've, I've never, never hit my wife. I don't mean that kind of fight. You've got to watch what you say from the pulpit. But I mean just verbally, just, just getting angry. I could, there was one time I could say I'd never been angry with my wife, and that's not true anymore. But it was probably months after we got married. And, well, no, I did get angry on our honeymoon. I forgot about that. <laughs> Sorry about that, hon. It was months later before I got angry again. I used to say we never fight, and that's, I, I realized that's kind of portraying an image that's not exactly true. Because we'd still do that. But there's a dominating force. You know how hard it is for me to say I'm sorry? It's hard. It's difficult to tell people I need help. Very difficult. But JT told me years ago, he said, Ben, you're more personal in the pulpit than you are out of it. And I said, that's generally true. Because under the anointing, sometimes you, you expose yourself a little bit more than what, what you would and to the people. But I'll tell you this. It's difficult for me naturally to do that. But it's the power of God that grabs a hold of my human nature and bridles my tongue and bridles my temper. Are you hearing me? Bridles you. You've experienced that. You know what that's like. You're about to say it, Brother Joe, and you're about to do something. You're about to say something, and the Holy Spirit comes in. Or maybe you do say it, but you're angry and you don't sin because you repent. Amen. Aren't you glad for a God like that? But I would say this, if you're a young person especially, things run in your family, you're going to have to fight that. Don't just assume that it's right. This is the way things are done. Fight that. Be different. Now, Brother Branham said he'll never overcome it. Christ will have to overcome it. When he lets Christ in, then he's already overcome then. 
it'll be a perfect paradox when a man is born of the Spirit of God. He said, I've seen critics stand off and make fun and carry on of a Holy Ghost revival. After a while, God get a hold of that same man and change him. And here he stands right in the pulpit preaching the same thing he once hated. It's a paradox how that God can take the unbeliever and make a believer out of him. Now we're getting to Saul tonight. He said, I wonder if a man thinks that miracles has passed. I wonder what kind of a scientific medicine you could give such a person to change that disposition in them, to take that hatred and malice and strife out. There is no one can explain it. He said, but it's a paradox because it's a miracle of God. When a man is changed from the person that he is to a new creature in Christ Jesus, he becomes a new creation. He is no more what he used to be. He is absolutely a new creation. Can you say amen to me tonight? Amen to the word. (laughs) Amen. Saul of Tarsus was born around 10 AD and lived around 57 years. He was born in Tarsus, 961 miles from Jerusalem. Born a Roman citizen. He had social status and wealth. The upper echelon of, of what we would call the society of that day, at least in the upper middle class. He gives us a glimpse of his life in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It's touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. How many men of that day could even say that? History tells us that he was under Gamaliel for eight years and in uh, Jerusalem, and then he returned to Tarsus for a while, which is why he missed the ministry of Jesus. He was then either elected to the Sanhedrin Council or was being groomed for that position as one of the brilliant young men that was coming in in the upper echelon of Jewish society. And in Acts 22 and 3, he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, Yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And you know, his, his parents had wealth and money because they transported him all the way, paid for him to go to school all the way in Jerusalem, which was in that time a very, very long journey. And he was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, was zealous toward God, as you all are this day speaking to those Jewish people. He said, I persecuted this way into the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. It's also the high priest doth bear me witness. What a testimony Paul was. He's standing there as Paul who was Saul the persecutor. He's standing there and saying the high priest knows that he gave me letters. (laughs) He said in all the estate of the elders that would be the Sanhedrin council. From whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto, unto Jerusalem to be punished. Listen to me, that this man could be converted is truly a paradox. See, but what's the difference? Now think about it. We've went all through the life of Saul, and we've looked at him and how that family strain come out, and it comes out a thousand years later in in Saul of Tarsus. Same family strain. How's he ever going to end up any differently? How's he going to avoid that? Oh, my. Let me bring it down. How are you ever going to avoid that? How are you ever going to end up any differently? How am I ever going to end up any differently? Listen, the difference was the cross. 
on this side of the cross, Saul, uh, King Saul could not overcome his Benjamite heritage. Could not. The difference was not the time, only in that the time, in that time, Christ was crucified on the cross. Rose again on the third day. Amen. And the fact, oh, I hope you hear me tonight, church. The fact of a risen Jesus Christ made the difference between Saul, King Saul, and Saul of Tarsus. One came B.C. In 1000 B.C., one came in A.D. That made all the difference. Think about it. They were both men of God. They both went to heaven. But our goal here as the bride of Jesus Christ is not just to make it by the skin of our teeth to heaven. Right? Our goal is to be good stewards of the mysteries of God. We're, we're not put here on the earth just to make it by the skin of our teeth. We're put here to be good stewards of the mysteries of God. To be a church that is just like that first church. To be the representation of God on the earth today. To be what God called us to be. To be the overcomer of the Laodicean age. That's what you and I were called to do. And if there's going to be something that overcomes, that makes us overcome our past, that causes us to overcome our family history, if there's going to be something to do that, it's going to take the cross. No matter how educated in the message you might become, no matter how, how good you are, no matter how well you were raised, no matter what family you were born to, no matter who your pastor is, what your last name is, the difference is the cross. The difference today is the same as it was then. You've got to meet Christ yourself. And that will make all the difference. Saul of Tarsus is just as stubborn as King Saul. Just as bloodthirsty. Just as violent. (laughs) So how do you say that? He said it. In 1 Timothy 1.15 he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He wasn't being humble. Look what he says next. How be it for this cause I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. Amen. Amen. Once Paul was converted, he realized the very first time that he ever was stubborn against God, the very first time that he ever threw one of them people in prison, the very first time he ever run down the people of God, the very first time he ever condemned Christ and condemned the way of the people of God and condemned Christianity, he realized he should have been struck down then. But something grabbed a hold of him. Something waited on him. Amen. Something kept him through that time. What was it? The long-suffering of God. Amen. He said for a pattern. He said he might show forth all long suffering for a pattern. Amen. Paul was the pattern for who? To them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul is the pattern not only for the messengers of the age but also to every believer today. Amen. Do you believe that today? He's a pattern of grace. We don't have to be bound by our family history. We don't have to be bound by the curse that the devil laid on us. We don't have to be bound to what our genes say we should be. We don't have to be that. We're something more, Brother Stewart. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. We've come to a different place. Hallelujah. 
We've come to a, a grace and not a law. A place where we can find help in time of need. A place where there's a mediator. A place where we have an attorney who is also the judge. A rigged court. And Saul, amen, could stand before God and God say, you never did it in the first place. Oh my. We find Saul as a young man standing and watching the stoning of Stephen. We won't go through all through this tonight. We'll just kind of touch the high points and, and finish on this. And then we'll maybe get back into it. In Acts 6 and 9, it said, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. You Bible students, you mark that Cilicia. Cilicia, that is the place where Tarsus is. That was Saul's country. And so they had their own church, their own synagogue of like-minded, well-educated, if we could say uh, Hellenistic Jews is what they were called. They were Jews who were educated as Greeks and yet followed the law to the letter. They were well-educated. And so they became the ones who disputed with Stephen. It was Paul's church. Where he went to church, those would have been his closest friends. Stephen, at that point, begins to preach. He was a deacon. But he began to preach one of the greatest sermons ever, ever recorded. He, he starts out and he goes all through the history and ends up calling them whited walls and a few other things. And He gets down to the end of that sermon. And the Bible says when they heard these things, in Acts 7.54, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. I've never preached a sermon that hard yet. I've had people gnash their teeth, but not on me, thank goodness. Verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. He didn't respond back in kind, but he saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, behold, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul never tried to hide that, by the way. He never tried to hide what he did. They stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I love the beauty of that. He's being stoned, but he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting to his death. What that word means is that he was in favor of it. He wanted it to happen. He didn't pick up the stone, but he was, that was his church that did it. And he put his stamp of approval on it. And even went as far as to say, I'll hold your coat while you stone him. Saul being destined perhaps to be the high priest or, or be a great man like Gamaliel in the, in the Sanhedrin of that day, he couldn't do it himself. But he put Stephen to capital punishment by consenting to his death. Maybe if he'd spoke up, maybe if he'd have stood in his defense, 
like Gamaliel did later for Peter and John. Maybe if Paul had done that, there wouldn't have been a first Christian martyr named Stephen. But he stood there as Saul of Tarsus, consenting to the death of Stephen. It says, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. This pack of wolves began to go after the weak. They were all scattered except, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. If you go and you can look up on the internet and you can see how a wolf will go down that line of elk. and You can see the dead elk just laying there, not eaten, just killed. Wreaked havoc. Entering into every house. Hailing men and women, committed them to prison. The word havoc means he injured the church. He, he ravened like a wolf. He slashed and he cut. He did everything he could to defeat the gospel. Aren't you glad the gospel cannot be defeated? Amen. How did this man become the apostle to the Gentiles, a messenger of grace? Remember, if you go back, if you were listening, if you were here, or, or if you watched, some time ago we read where King Saul said he was the least of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember that? When they come to him, they ask him to be king. He said, he said I'm the least of the tribe of Benjamin. My family is, is, is the smallest, it's the least. Of the whole tribe. I'm the least. The, the Benjamites are the least of the tribes. And I'm the least of the least. Yes. And remember how we said that that become a, something in his mind. That he felt that way. And it was good as long as God could use it. Yes. But then he become arrogant in it. Because he felt like he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. And, and yet he had this insecurity. Which become an arrogance because it was overcompensated for because he could never overcome that. Well, Saul of Tarsus had that same insecurity. But now watch. Something got a hold of him. Because he comes back in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and says, I am the least of the apostles. Watch. I'm not meant to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. People who just like to take one quote or one scripture could shut the door so we don't have to listen to Paul. <laughs> but look at the next verse. But by the grace of God. You know, there's some scriptures that fit certain people. Malachi 4 and, and Revelation 10, 7 fit certain people. We can find ourselves in there, and, and yet they mostly fit one person. This fits all of us. <laughs> this fits all of us. Because Paul was the pattern of grace. Yes. Amen. He said, I was, I'm not meant to be called an apostle. Remember, that was, where, that was where Saul was, and God used him for a while like that, and then he got arrogant. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. How do you overcome insecurity? How do you overcome arrogance? See, this is the right balance. No false humility, no insecurity, no arrogance or pride, just grace. Amen. By the grace of God, I am what I am. How many can say amen to that tonight? 
by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. He said, I'm not going to deny what God's done in my life. I don't care how bad you feel about yourself. How much you feel like you're the least of the preachers or, or the least of the deacons or the least of the churches. You've got to recognize the grace of God has done something in your life. You may have the least family. You may have the worst track record in the past. But the grace of God has done something in your life. And you should be able to raise up and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the, late, and the grace that he bestowed upon me was not in vain because I recognized myself to be little. I recognized myself to not be able to do it on my own. And so I labored more abundantly than they all. But even when I labored, it was not me, but the grace of God which was with me. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel. Amen. There's the right balance. No false humility. No insecurity. No arrogance. Musicians, go ahead and come. Just grace. Right. We went through this, and I don't know. We are nearly done. We may be done. But how does that strain ever get broken? By the grace of God. That grace is expressed in your life as a new birth. And that new birth makes you act like a Christian. It makes you do things beyond your own abilities. You say, I somehow, I've labored more abundantly than all of them, but it wasn't me. I won't deny what God's done in my life, but it wasn't me. Brother Branham said it that way. He said, I, I won't deny what an angel said to me at the river. I won't, I won't deny what he said. He said, I'm no prophet. And he said, I won't deny what he said. Right. Amen. I'm the least of all. Amen. Take it down now to our prophet. He said, I'm the least of all the preachers. Not even a preacher. He said, but one day, he said, if you make it to heaven, he said, you'll find me there. He said, when you hear, he said, you see a little old cabin down by the river. He said, and you see, you hear amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He said, I made it by grace. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the grace of the Almighty God. We're so grateful for the, for the times when we were beyond hope. Oh, God. Yet even in that moment, as we said Sunday night, there was a place for us at the table. Saul didn't realize it, Saul of Tarsus. But there was a place for Paul the Apostle already at that great table at that meeting in the air there was already a place made he didn't know it but one day he began to realize what you'd done for him and when he realized it he, he just couldn't hold back even though they stoned him and they persecuted him and he was shipwrecked and left for dead Yet he found himself one time in a prison and been beaten, laying there in the muck in the darkness of the inner prison. Sitting there with Silas with stalks on his feet. And he began to sing a song of rejoicing. Because no matter what happened to Paul, he was no longer Saul. No matter how many times he got sick and how many times he got weary and how many times he was troubled, no matter what happened to him, what, what he went through, he was no longer Saul. He 
was Paul the Apostle. He could stand there and say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Help us to recognize that today, Lord. Help us to know that. And though our feet may be in stalks of prison, may we begin to sing at midnight. Raise our voice, Lord, to you. Raise our worship to you, Lord. We may be the least of all the preachers, the least of all the churches, the least of all the people, but we can't deny what you've done in our lives. We can't deny that you are a great God. You are not bound by our weaknesses, but you, Lord, make a way. There's room there for you to begin to move. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you'd move in every heart, Lord, if there's one that hasn't overcome. Lord, help them to know that it's only by the cross will they overcome. Only by your grace will they be able to do that. I pray, Lord, that they would take advantage of that. Help us to be humble, Lord, to listen. Lord, not to be stubborn, oh God. Help me, Lord. I recognize, Lord, even in my own family, there's a trait of that. We can be stubborn. Oh, God, help me not to be like that. Save me from myself, Lord. I find when, I, when I'm fighting, when I begin to rank my enemies in order, I always put myself at the top. Lord, because I'm my greatest enemy. Before anything else, I'm, it's me, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I pray, Lord, that every one of us would recognize that today. Lord, and that we would bow to your omniscience. We can't overcome on our own. But Lord, if we can recognize the devil by your word and speak the word back to him, Lord, we can overcome in this evil hour that we live in. Lord, we thank you for your overcoming power. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for grace. Thank you for what you've done in each one of our lives. Lord, as maybe memories tonight go back and we can see what we were, what we would have been. But by the grace of God, there go I. Lord, what are we now? Lord, that gives us grace for others who maybe fell along the way. Lord, they're not beyond your grace today, just as Saul of Tarsus was not beyond becoming Paul the Apostle. Lord, you hold us to what what we need, and we thank you for that, what you need from us. We thank you for that. I pray you bless these people. Keep us constantly in your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, don't you want to just worship him a minute, church? Oh, he's so good. Draw me to your side. Oh, Thank you, Lord. Oh, I wait. I'll rise up like the eagle. Oh, I will soar with you. Oh, your spirit leads me on by the power of your love. Amen. Let's stand and sing it one more time with all your heart now. Take off the tiredness for a moment tonight. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of our praise. Just, just give it to him for a moment. Let him have a few minutes. You gave the bank a few minutes today. You gave your work several hours. You, you gave Eaton a few minutes. Give him a few minutes today. Give him a few minutes. Let him work in your life. Let the word soak in tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, I 
I'm not giving up. I'm going to make it. Amen. Well, I'm not giving up. Oh, I'm not turning around. By the grace of God, I'll wear a shining brown someday. Oh, I'll keep holding on to that nail-scarred hand. Oh, I'm not giving up. No, I'll keep going on. Amen. Sing it now. I've been walking through the valley, through this veil of tears. Thank you, Lord. There's times I even question, even if my Lord was near. Well, then at times, that old tempter, he says, why not turn around? Because you're just losing ground Oh, but I'm not giving up Amen, take that no, devil I'm not, I'm not turning around Amen Oh, by the grace of God I'll wear a shining crown someday Oh, I'll keep holding on Oh, to that nail-scarred hand Oh, I'm not giving up No, I'll keep going Sing that second verse now before we go. Oh, would you mind to tell me? Well, there's Thank something you, bothering me. Oh, why is it that old devil it just won't let God's children be? You oh, see, he, he has purposed and determined to get, get right, right in the way and turn us from the way of life and lead our souls astray. Oh, do your best, but devil, but I'm not giving up. up. Hallelujah. No, oh, I'm not turning around. Amen. Oh, by the grace of God, I'll wear a shining crown someday. Oh, but I'll keep holding on to that nail-scarred hand. 
we keep marching onward we're winning every battle because the lord's by our side sing it out now we've got the power in the name of jesus and we've got the power in the name of the Lord, oh, though Satan rages, we shall not be defeated. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Give him one more hand of praise tonight. Amen. Just before we're dismissed, let's sing it now. Victory is mine. Amen. You have the victory tonight. Amen. Let's go go away happy as we sing this now. Well, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. And I told Satan to get thee behind. Victory today is mine. Well, when I woke up this morning, well, I didn't have a doubt. Well, I knew that the Lord would bring me out. So I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, help me please. And I got up singing and shout the victory. Oh, singing victory is mine. Victory is mine. is mine all mine well i told satan to get thee behind victory today the holy ghost is mine you believe it now well the holy ghost is mine the holy ghost is mine the holy ghost today is mine and i told satan to get thee behind the Holy Ghost today. You're free to go in the name of the Lord. Well, joy is mine. Singing joy is mine. Joy today is mine. Well, I told Satan to get thee behind. is mine. Happiness today is mine. Yes, I told Satan to get thee behind. Happiness today is mine. We're singing victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine.